All right, guys, Doug, you can sit over here. Safeties, man, we've had some good ones. Hello, hello. Good ones? Some great I'm ones. Talking great ones. Great ones, impactful guys. And that we're not even including on this panel, obviously, some, some other great ones that we'll get into throughout the day, but I, I, would, I would guess that you would agree, everybody, and you can let me hear it if it's true. Uh, this is a group of some vicious hitters. Vicious competitors and some of the most feared of the game. You guys collectively knew how to, and do, with Eddie Jackson here, you know how to take the starch out of an offense a little bit. Wouldn't you say, Gary Fenson? Absolutely. You know, uh, I'm sure that all of us will say that really good safeties are the product of a really good defensive line, you know? You get a good defensive line, and uh, it allows you to do things that you can't do. Great hits. Of course, Eddie can't do those anymore because he'd be fined out of the league. I mean, you know, Doug and I, it'd be down 10 to 7 knowing that our offense probably wasn't going to score, and it'd be in the fourth quarter, and we'd say, time to have fun. <laughs> and time to mean fun means nailing people. Mike Brown, you made a lot of huge plays, and I think a lot of my favorite plays... Were you coming on the blitz? You were nasty on the blitz. And you would get to the quarterback with a perfect form tackle. And one of my favorites of all time is your hit on Brett Favre. There was a we're going to show it to you. But I, I always walk by Lovey Smith's office to do the coaches show every Monday night. And there's this, he had a picture of Mike Brown's hit on Brett Favre. If we could pull that up on the screen, that'd be great. Now, Mike B, perfect form tackle, head in the chest, just to the side of his chest, grimacing face, balls out, but the part we don't see, Brett Favre is jacked up off the ground, his feet are dangling like this because of that guy right there. You remember that? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's one of the hits I do remember, um, but I, I, I like what, uh, what Gary said about uh, safety play. Um, the safeties are only as good as the people up front. So he's, he's talking about defensive line. I would say what uh, helped me was having Brian Erlacher in the middle of the field and cover two. So I have uh, a lot of respect and admiration for that dude because he made me better. So I want to give respect to that man too. Eddie Jackson, the same uh, can be said for the 2018 Bears last year with that defensive front and all, all the big plays you guys were able to make back in the secondary. It turned, right? It turned for the defense. It, it made you guys, you guys were already good. But things, you guys are maturing as a unit. And uh, the, the benefactor back there, I always feel you got to have a, a safety of significance to be a contender. Would you agree? Um, yeah, I, I most definitely agree. And I, I have to double back on what these guys said, man. When you have a, a great front seven in front of you, you know, guys like Khalil Mack, Akeem, Rokon, Danny, guys that's flying to the ball and that's true competitors, that's going to make you get better and take your game to an, another level. And right now, man, we just, we just, you know, we just reaching the peak. You know, it's, it's, we got more things to do, you know, hopefully bring back a Super Bowl this year, you know, back to Chicago. So. 
Doug, it looks like you're watching this, Phil, you're watching this screen like uh, you're, you're doing some coaching in your mind. Hey, Plank. It looks like you're watching that screen like, you're, like, you're, like you're doing. You got to pay attention. Look, you're watching that like you're look, breaking down games. He's like Joni I didn't have that many interceptions in my life. College, high school, <laughs> junior high. Um, you know, I love how football has changed. It's much more entertaining now. Uh, and it was entertaining when Gary and I played, but there was so much more just running and tackling. I mean, who isn't energized by watching Eddie grab that ball or Mike and some of the incredible returns those guys had? Wow. Uh, you know, you don't realize it sometimes when you're a player that a lot of the players that had played before you are all watching this on television, cheering for you. I mean, we are all fans just like everybody else. So I, I just appreciate Eddie and, and the job that Mike did when he was here. It was amazing. But you know, you talk about the Tampa cover two, you talk about the 46 defense, the 4-3, the, the 34 that you play today, a version of it. It seems like those are just numbers now they use because the defenses are so different configured. The defenses that you guys all played in, were they the right defenses for your skill sets? Well, you know, we had different coaches and I, I think that you have to fit into the system. I don't think that they were doing much to adjust to how Doug and I played. But, you know, if you have a really good front seven, and I don't want to get in trouble because I got Otis back there, and uh, you know, I played with Mike Singletary, Wilbur Marshall, Al Harris, and great linebackers. But for me, Mike, your point about I played behind Doug Buffon, and, and Doug really taught me how to play. I mean, I, I didn't even need to know the coverage because I could just play off of Doug. So I, I think that you want to create a defense that takes the most advantage of the skills of your players. But, you know, we were a 4-3, you know, consistently uh, through uh, my 12-year career. And I think, you know, to me, when I look back at, you know, we didn't have free agency. When you look back at that 85 team or the 84-86, and you look at the number of first and second round draft choices that were on that team, I mean, it's amazing. Great credit to the scouting uh, group. Uh, for the Bears, both offensively, Tom, and defensively, you had uh, a lot of talent. So, Mike, you know, you talk about the defense you played in. So, you know, go back in history the 46 or go advance forward to the new version of the 34. Are your skill sets need to be developed differently, your instincts differently, or are you set for any defense? I, I would say um, the, the cover two that love you, it, it was the system. Uh, so we um, practice the system. So we, because there's only a certain amount of plays that beat cover two. So we know the plays that teams are going to run to try to beat the cover two. So we would just practice those plays daily, 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 daily. And it was more about effort than anything. Um, intensity. Um, yeah, I think uh, as far as the, so skill set, I don't have skills, man. I don't have the skill set as most DBs have. I'm not as fast as guys. I'm short, um, and I'm not as heavy. Um, but I played with a lot of heart, and I think that's that's one thing. Um, that's one thing that I know helped my career, and I know that um, yeah, that we had players that would. I mean. I'm gonna take like Olin Krutz to me, like he was the leader of the team. So his intensity and all that carried through the team. And then when Lovey came, he brought us a belief in a system. 
So it didn't matter who was playing. We believed in the system. And that's what made us play at a high level, I think. Eddie, you basically played for a pro team in college. <laughs> you know, that system that, that system that you played in then and, and the supporting cast that you played with, now you bring it up to today. Your skill sets, is it, is it built for this era? Could it transfer to other eras? Or, or is it your skill set that is allowing you to contribute so quickly? Um, really, I, I feel like it starts with, you know, how much of the work you put in, you know, because like he said, he, he felt like he wasn't as fast or wasn't as big as a normal safety. And I felt that way coming out. You know, I was a, a light safety. You know, they said a lot of things about me. But when you go in there, you work hard, man, and, and you transition it to, you know, the film and, and you take that from the film to on the field and, and you put everything together with your teammates and, you know, Mike was a dog, you know, as simple as that. I watched his highlight tape before every game. You know, Coach Ed put that on there for a reason, just to show me, like, you know, the critic's going to say this, but you can always prove him wrong. So I feel like it's just the hard work you put in, that's what you're going to get out. Doug, kind of the same question for you, though, but you got such a reputation of hitting everybody, whether it's your own guy in the back or an offensive lineman coming to make a block downfield. How does... You know, and you're still heavily involved in, in football all around the landscape. Your skill sets as a young man, you know, and how do they fit into today? Tom, when I was very young, my mother used to drop me a lot as a baby. <laughs> and I learned to like this feeling of hitting something very hard. <laughs> and you know what, when I first got here, uh, I don't say Dick Butkus had just left, but he was still a synonymous with the Chicago Bears. And anybody watching Dick Butkus play, I, I wanted to be Dick Butkus playing free safety. One of the and funniest things that I just saw was Mike Brown watching you lower your helmet to hit. You can't do that. Yeah, the, the rules certainly have changed. And uh, it was last man standing when I played. Uh, but you know, I think of all the things that you were talking about, Tom, as far as uh, players and coaches were concerned. And I, I, I've been a coach for 10 years in the Arena League, in college, and in the NFL. And I still believe, and if there's any coaches out there, I, I put it on your shoulders. These men up here know how to play safety. But you know what? You have to give them the ability to make plays and not be tentative when they're going, on the, going for the ball, too many times in meeting rooms, I've seen coaches shame players uh, in front of everyone else. And those coaches have a big part of the success of the Chicago Bears. That's why I'm all for Coach Nagy, everybody else he has on his staff, because I know they believe, they believe in these players right now, and they're going to let them go out and make plays. Doug, uh, you were quoted at one time saying, uh, before games, I would think nasty thoughts about the players I'd be going against. I was not a happy person. Did you really have to get to that place to play like the way you did? I'd be really interested to talk to you guys how you ever got mentally prepared, but I had to create these scenarios in my mind that this guy on the other team just beat my mother, my wife, my father. And I, I know it sounds very childish, but we are all children. We are playing a game of football and getting paid for it. It's our occupation. Come on. And so I would create these 
and it wasn't just on Sunday. I would do this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in practice. I would, tr I would pretend Brian Bashnagel was, had done something to me. And so when it came on Sunday, I didn't even have to think about it. I would just step on the field, and this feeling would come across me like I, somebody's going down, a, a, a blocker, a running back. I don't care. And I, I know it sounds stupid, but you know what? I enjoyed, I had so much fun. I can tell the McCaskies I would have played for nothing, really. Um, and we did almost play for nothing, Gary. <laughs> But uh, I, I just, I have so much fun watching the Bears last year. It was so fun watching the players like Eddie and also the fans get a chance to enjoy the game. Hey, hey Jeff, I think that probably explains why sometimes as you were going into the pile, you would hear this Ugh, and recognize the voice. And it was actually one of our players. They'd be in the huddle going, hey, Doug, keep your eyes open. A lot get, of friendly fire. Did your mind? Did Doug make you get into your mind about the way that you mentally prepared well, for the game? I don't think I prepared that way. I know I didn't. I, uh, but, but, you know, certainly Doug taught me how to play. And, uh, you know, I was uh, from a tough school, Yale, and <laughs> coming in. And, you know, to be able to play with Doug Plank and uh, a leader by example was just fun. It was just a lot of fun. And, you know, I was talking about Doug Buffone and, you know, all the people that you're with. You want to really feel as though you're on a team that you trust and, and that uh, there's a lot of transparency, especially on the film room on, uh, on Monday morning. But yeah, I, uh, I love playing with Doug and we had a lot of fun together. Did you have to uh, learn to hit like you did? Nope. My, our defensive back coach, uh, my first year of playing, which is my second year, said, you know, I'm concerned about the way you're leading with your head. And I said, hey, I need some coaching. And he goes, that's really not my style. I don't really teach technique. You just got to learn. So I learned from Doug and from some other people. But, you know, there's a, you know, it's interesting that in the NFL, and I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts because we couldn't come out as early as you could uh, when you guys played. But, you know, I wonder if there shouldn't be more concentration on developing skills as you get into the pros. Because it's it, you know it's not like you stop learning the, the moment you come into the NFL. I see in the early highlights you're not wearing a neck roll, and then the later years all of a sudden I see you with a neck roll. Was that out of necessity? Yeah, it was. And I saw you know I get a lot of grief about that, but I was getting uh, and we had I had two players. One of them's here, uh, Jerry Muckensturm, who lost their deltoid as a result of whiplash, and so they said, look, I lost feeling in my shoulder, and they said if you don't wear something you might also have that same problem. And you know, those horse collars are just too big to be able to really get up and go for an interception. And Matt Suey uh, was wearing this thin little padding with some surgical tubing. And I said, yeah, I'm gonna give that a shot and I wore it the rest of my career. Did you guys embrace, so Eddie and Mike, you know, they were called the hitmen, these two. Did you embrace it? Did you run with it? Did you like it? Did you care about that moniker that was placed on you guys? For me? Either one of you. <laughs> well, you know, Doug or, or Gary. I, uh, you know, I have so many other problems with the Super Bowl shuffle, and, you know, I can't <laughs> sing, I can't dance. I'll take the hitman anytime. <laughs> well, that's your interception leader in the Bears history, by the way, with 38. Well, he was a former college wide receiver. That was the one that's thing true. he came in here. He couldn't tackle, but he could catch. <laughs> and you were a heck of a running back. 
at a time in high school, right? Oh, oh in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you were a killer. Yeah, I was a beast. This, you were a beast. You were a wide receiver. You were a beast. And Doug, what'd you play in high school? Uh, you know, I played quarterback on offense. I loved offense. And uh, on defense, I, I guess I just started learning to run 10 yards into people. And, uh, you know, I told Gary, you know, Gary's background in college is, is more offense, too, with regarding being a receiver. And Eddie, just, I really admire, people don't realize how difficult it is to locate the ball when you're a safety, because many times you're not in the middle of the field. You may be on one side or the other. And every quarterback is different also as far as the trajectory of their pass. So, you know, plus you have the receiver to try to account for. So I, I always wanted to say one thing in my life. I was never going to go for an interception and miss it and have the guy catch it and go for a touchdown. If he was coming into my zone or area, the receiver was going down. I'll worry about the ball later on. I don't care. But that's the way it was. Ed, Eddie and Brownie, is that, is that the philosophy of today? I mean, you know, because both of you guys have some great reactionary interceptions, and it's almost the knowledge of the defense that allows you to anticipate that. What, what is the, the coach thinking of today in those terms when a pass is in your area and you see the receiver? Well... I wouldn't know about today. I would, uh, I would say the ball, I think that's, that's a great point that's always, I think, missed is that safety's eyes are always transferring. So where your eyes are always moving from places like keys and stuff. So once you realize, like, you're in the right spot, oh, the receivers is run the, the route, then your eyes transfer. So the ball is coming. And so sometimes it's on you before you can see it. That's why, like, this dude right here, like, he's, it's special skill that he has. Like, I don't have that skill. So I was more like Doug. I was like, I'm not going to miss the interception and have someone go for a touchdown. I'm just going to hit this dude. So my, my philosophy was more at, at the fourth quarter mark, the receiver is going to be tired of me hitting him. And that's when you see balls tipped up in the air. You will see them not finishing the routes. And that's when... Uh, the big plays would happen in, in my situation. Well, Eddie Jackson with five touchdowns in just 30 games of his NFL career. I started calling you Quick Six. Quick Six Jackson. And we saw some of your highlights. But in 2001, a young Mike Brown had quite the back-to-back -back week. We all remember it, right? Here's one of them right here, Terrell Owens to Mike Brown to the house. First time that's happened, it's not happened since back-to-back -back weeks. Then the Cleveland Browns and San Francisco 49ers, back-to-back -back pick sixes. In no way does that define your career, but it's certainly one of your highlights, Big Mike. Those are memorable. Yeah, those, those uh, obviously are um, plays that are going to or my part, my career, I guess you could say. Those are two plays that um, are always brought up. Um, those are two plays that I remember vividly. Um, yeah, it was just, it was a special time. I was a young player. I was in my second year. Um, so, like, it gave me more confidence. It, I mean, just, that year was a special, 2001 was a real special year, 13 and three. Um, 
those types of things. Like, this game is hard, and winning, winning these football games is hard. So once you start getting 10 wins, 13, I mean, that's hard to do. So it's, so my, my fault, my problem is, like, I just don't want to be remembered for those two players. Exactly. I want, I want people to, I want to be remembered as someone who played for the people. So, that, so you're talking about like preparation. I, my preparation, like to get mentally prepared, I, I was always joyful. I was like, uh, the game to me was, it was party time. It's like all the work and practice and all that, that's when I was like, that's the work. But when it's time to go out there on Sunday, that's when all the fun happens. So what Eddie is talking about, I think what he's talking about is like, you put in all this work through the week, and then Sunday, it's like, it's time to let loose. All right, Greg Miller, he's our guy back there running these tapes. Here's how Mike Brown got ready for games with his guys. Coming out of the locker room every week. Hope you got it queued up. Take a listen. Come up with that? Why'd you start saying that? I don't know. Well, well it's um, you know, they, they call us the specialty positions for a reason. We're usually the ones that get the glory of the play, the playmakers. The game is won in the trenches. I think we all understand that. That's what we talk about. The front seven. We know that football is a game with the offensive line and defensive line. Whoever wins that battle usually is going to win the game. Now you guys see all the plays being made. But so that's, that was the thing, it's just letting the playmakers know that we are the ones that got to make them. So when there's the opportunity to make them, we have to make them because the people that are doing the dirty work need us to make those plays. So we's the ones that make the plays. You know, you talk about making plays, and I, I know that this is a safety panel, but in the last panel, Charles Tillman was up here with us. As defensive backs, because you guys have all seen, you've worked with cornerbacks, you've seen receiver routes, do you find it amazing the plays that he was able to make on his instincts and his craft, starting with you, Gary? Well, I mean, he was a great cornerback, and yes, he didn't have blazing speed. And I think most of the time, when you think about the difference maybe between a cornerback and a safety is they've got speed and, and they have unbelievable swivel hips. Un, so smooth when you see a really good cornerback just backpedaling you try to do it on your own and you go wow it looks so effortless and uh, but it's really really important but with Charles Tillman my gosh that Tomahawk you know stealing the ball and the whole NFL started doing it you know I think sometimes people forget that should be the second person not the first person stripping the first person should kind of slow the guy down or get the tackle then somebody comes in for the strip but you know he had you know, both skills, the ability to cover and really to rip that ball out of the, the receiver. Mike. Yeah, I would say, uh, Peanut, um, the thing that stands out to me is like his hips were amazing. Like the way he could uh, turn his hips, like those, I, I, see Eddie, Eddie has the hips, he, he's, his lower body's like a corner. 
but he played, but he's a safety. So that's what makes him special. His his skill set is corner, but he's safety. You know what I'm saying? But you know he, he does all the good things. That's why he's like this dude right here. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. But but with Peanut, but with Peanut though, he was also physical, like a really physical corner. He tackled. Um, and like he was the Randy Moss killer. That's where we really got him for to kill Randy Moss. So he'd get up, Randy Moss on the line of scrimmage. He'd take Randy Moss out of the game. So his his skill set is one where he's real physical at the line. His he's really super strong. His hands are strong. Um, he's faster than most people think, but he's just and he's super smart. And uh, we me and him had a great um, connection. Like we could. Uh, communicate to each other with eyes so we could basically switch coverages like with me and him like where he's going to line up so like you know I could protect him over the top if I felt a certain route was going to come I can look at him and say hey like and he'll right on time with me so I think as a secondary that's the most important thing for me as a secondary was that we were all on the same page even if we were wrong but we were all playing the wrong coverage but that that, that I mean, you want to have all four locked in. Eddie, I know they can't turn that into an instructional video because that's not, that's not something you teach and everybody does. But do you guys watch a highlight type of that as young players just to get yourself in the mindset of what can be accomplished in, in anticipation or tackling ability? Uh, I mean, Peanut, I mean, what he did was, it was very rare, you know. We do drills on him to trying to do it, man. It's it's it's, it's hard. <laughs> you know, it's not nothing that you can just go out there one day you, you work on or a week and go out there and perfect it on Sunday. That was something that he worked on 24-7. Like, seven days a week, he worked on it 24-7. And he was a big body, like you said. For him to be a corner, he was a big body. So he was physical. So for that, it was easier for him to do it as a corner. You know, he basically was a, a, a ball hawk safety playing corner that can cover very good, you know, and – like I said, man, they try to teach us, man, it's it's difficult. You know, it's not easy as it looks, so I salute him for that. Doug, what, what amazes you about that when you see his ability to anticipate the conclusion of a route for Charles Tillman to be able to dislodge a football like that? You know, one thing I, I didn't realize at first, um, I never really paid much attention to where ball, where uh, receivers or running backs held their held the ball, but I understand he did. And he would think about plays because this is what happens in a game. You you try to imagine what's going to happen during the game, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then the game comes, and it feels like you're having a dream. Like you, you, you've already done this you, because you've dreamed about it all week. And I think that he did such a masterful job of identifying each and every receiver and ball carrier and how they held the ball, and he knew how to attack it. I mean, he did it in some incredible fashion. You know, he just knew right where the ball was going to be. He knew the re he knew the uh, changes the runners and receivers were going to make in the open field, and he totally anticipated it. And you know, there's been never anybody like him or after. So I, I give him all the credit in the world. Doug, your your story is unique really in NFL circles because people you'd have to go back and research and think about it if you're not familiar with this story but you know you didn't start at Ohio State you were not a college football starter late round pick for the Bears 
um, and didn't ever play free safety. But you lied to the coaches and told them you did. That's how you got on the field. And look at what happened. You know what? In life, sometimes we could all say this. There's only one chance, one opportunity to do something. When I got drafted by the Bears, I'm sitting on the bench at Ohio State for three years. I got hurt the very first day I was there, tore two ligaments, had, had surgery my freshman year, and I was behind a first-round draft pick. I didn't know it. Tim Fox, who played 12 years in the NFL, and I couldn't do things he could do. He could, he could get an interception and jump up in, in flight and do a complete flip and land on his feet. I'm sorry, I never could do that. I never was going to be able to do that. So I waited for my day. I waited for my day. And our coach always said, be ready for your opportunity. Don't wait for your opportunity. And it came against Northwestern in Evanston, and Tim got hurt the first play of the game. And I had the game of my life against Northwestern. I had two interceptions, three forced fumbles, and I made every kickoff tackle. So Vince Tobin, a scout for the Bears, there said, who in the heck is this guy? And uh, I was lucky I had my one flash game. I was back on the bench the next week, and I get drafted in the 12th round by the Chicago Bears. And they're, you're right, uh, Jeff, their free safety, Gary Lau, was injured in preseason. And Jack Pardee, our coach, asked us, do any of you guys know how to play free safety? I put my hand up. I had never played free safety in my life. I'm in between practices. I'm watching film. What does a free safety do? And I couldn't figure it out, so I just figured it out for myself. I'm going to line up at 12 yards. I'm going to watch the guard in the two centers. And if they come across the line of scrimmage, all hell is going to break loose. I am going to tag somebody. That was it. That was. That's a summation of my eight-year career. And Gary, the man's beloved in this town. Beloved. Everybody asks about Doug Plank. And you know, Doug and I, we, we kid, but it actually does happen. People come up to me frequently and go, hey, Doug, I love the way you and Fensick played. And, and the same thing happens to Doug. And we're both so used to it, it's like, oh, thanks a lot, no problem. <laughs> but I mean, it was great. I mean, we were pretty, in, you know, inseparable and had a lot of fun. And I knew that if I was playing strong safety when Doug was playing free, that if I was going out wide and they had the sideline, that that running back was never going to cut back because they knew Doug Plank was coming. They knew it. And they knew that he didn't always hear the whistle either. <laughs> Mike and, and Eddie. Did you, you know, we talk a lot about the reputation of the middle linebacker in the history of Chicago Bears defense. Did you know anything about the history of the safety position within the Chicago Bears franchise? And, you know, because when you're young kids, you're not always following the Bears. I mean, you, be, you become a part of the Bears, and then you start learning a little bit about the history. Was it all new to you? Um, no. It wasn't. Oh, sorry. It wasn't new to me. My uh, stepfather like lived in the area so I mean I have a poster a year on it I believe it's like all the offensive line right. like I have that poster I mean I have a picture when I was 10 years wow, old that's a really old that's one. what I'm saying yeah. I mean the Super Bowl shuffle I mean I had all that stuff so I, I, I've known about the Bears history I mean like Walter Payton like I have, I have a picture a jersey that's the only jersey I used to wear so like I was familiar with Chicago and the Bears so 
when I got here, I knew like the legacy. I knew like what the franchise meant to the city. So like I get, that helped me understand like uh, the passion. I think that helped me with the passion too. Is that I knew how important the Bears are to the city. So. Eddie, you know, you're sitting up here with history. You're a young guy, and the, the best is yet to come for you. What, did you, was there other safeties you follow, or did you know about the history of the Bears? Because I know Coach Nagy, he's, it's an important part of him for you guys to know the history of this organization, how important it is to the landscape of the NFL. But we're sitting up here with this one position specifically, and man, you're a young guy sitting in the seat, and you know it's it, there's a lot of importance for you to, that's yet to come. Um, for me, I knew about you know the, the Bears tradition. You know, I went to Alabama, so when I got here, I, you know, you feel the family, you know, the family culture. You know, they big on tradition, the legacy, and for me, you know, you know, Doug and Gary was, you know, I'm out of there, you know. <laughs> Mike was more, you know, my 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 guy that you know in my my not my age group, but more of my era. So I kind of knew about him. Like I said, uh, when I first got here, that was the first highlight tape they put on the iPad for me is, uh, you know about Mike Brown. I'm like, yeah, I heard of him before. Like, all right, I'm going to put this cut up of Mike Brown. I want you to watch it. Before every game, you know, Coach Ed did that. And, and I watched it, and I seen the type of plays he was making. And that's what he was just telling me, man, we need to bring this back at this safety position, a guy that's going to go out there, be aggressive, get the ball, and create turnovers and, you know, help lift the, the secondary up. So. You know, I, I just took it and ran with it, man. And like I said, I, I went to Alabama. So when I got here and, and you feel out of love from the fans, how, how, how big it is on tradition and in family, you just fall in love with it. And there's no place I'd rather be. All four of these gentlemen. Hey, I, I have a question for Eddie since he keeps bringing up Alabama. Is Nick, say, like, is Nick, does he joke at all or what? Yeah, he, he jokes, yeah, he, he jokes, man, but it's, you have to get to that level. You know, when you're a freshman, he not gonna joke with you. <laughs> I got you, all right. When you get in there, you start making plays, he become more comfortable and joke with you. You know, you act like you hurt, you know, things you. like that. All right. All four of these gentlemen in the top 100 as selected by Don, pa Don Pearson and Dan Pompey for the uh, franchise's scrapbook. You can buy it here at the event, check it out. You gotta have it if you're a Bears fan. And others on that 100 list that played the safety position. Richie Pettibone, a member of the 1963 championship team, second behind Gary in career interceptions with 37 in his Bears career. Your old roommate, Dave Dewerson, on that list, the late Dave Dewerson. You know, they were saying Richie Pettibone was 6'3", 6 He's 6'3", six, almost 6'4", 206. I mean, you talk about the history of Chicago Bears football going back to the 60s and Richie Pettibone being that big for a safety. That's a big guy. That's and Mark huge. Carrier. Mark Carrier also on that list, three-time Pro Bowler and 10 interceptions as a rookie. So a lot of good safety play here in Chicago Bears history. Anybody, we'll go across the board, and you're still playing, so maybe you don't want to answer this one, but anybody you'd like to get a crack at again? That you would like to get a crack at again? Anybody you'd like to hit again? One more time. Uh, let, let's go with Earl Campbell. How about that, huh? Really? And, I mean, that guy, Gary, Gary remembered part of the game because uh, he got hit in the thigh. But Earl Campbell was a load. And he was one of those, it was back in the running day, and he was a bulldozer, and he, 
he was not, not going to try to fake you out. He wanted to smash you and run over top of you. So I guess I, I wish I could get another crack at Earl Campbell. Yeah, I, I was going to say Earl Campbell, but I, I definitely, I got, the only time I got knocked out uh, was Earl Campbell, not on a particularly good tackle, but I had a 33-inch waist and Earl Campbell had a 34-inch thigh. <laughs> and uh, I didn't, and I, but I finished the game. And, uh, but I, I think that, you know, there are so many great running backs that you'd like to, you know, maybe have a second chance at, but even wide receivers. Uh, so I can't think of any one in particular. I guess I'd like to get another shot at Earl Campbell, but if I did, it would be very low. In the, hey, in the, in the types of practices we went through, did either of you guys ever hit Walter? Because I saw Todd Bell hit Walter Payton once so hard in practice, Walter popped to his feet and says, let's run it again. And we ran the same play again, and it was an isolation, and Walter, he redeemed himself. But I, I did that. I did that. Uh, it was an accident. We were, you know, just kind of a popping drill, and I hit him way too hard. And I knew it, but it was, I went into the hole. I didn't even see him, and then I just hit him too hard, and I knew right away that uh, he was coming after me. And he did. He did. Doug? Mike B? Um... I guess uh, the most fun I had playing is definitely against the Packers. So let me let me uh, let me try to hit Brett Favre one more time. Okay. And you know, in that still shot, he said, "Look at the expression on his face. That wasn't an expression. That was the air leaving his body well, at a really rapid well, it was rate." Well, it was pretty good. The next game, the next game when we saw them. You know, he was out there, and he's like, you got me pretty good. He's like, you broke my ribs. And I was like, you're welcome. Oh, you need to. <laughs> <laughs> love that picture. <laughs> well, what? So I never heard that part of the story. I like it. All right. I've heard the story. He's told it on the radio. But if you haven't heard this story, this is a beauty from Doug Plank. Doug, correct me if I'm wrong. But your bride said, Doug, why are you so mean out there? Why do you have to hit so hard? Maybe you shouldn't hit so hard. So you took that advice in a game. You pick it up from there, tell us who it was, and what happened. This is a beauty. You know what? I'm uh, trying to think of how what my answer is going to be on this because I pledge to my wife not to sound like some ogre up here today. <clears throat> Too late. <laughs> Running around. Jeff, I'm going to have to think about that one for a while. You know, I, I, I do enough. remember, can I tell you, uh, there was a, a contest on CBS where you could make a wish, and someone won a wish to get tackled by Doug Plank. And so this woman, she came up, and Doug goes, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, give her a little tap. And during practice, everybody's going, Doug, she wants to be hit. She wants to feel what it's like to get hit by Doug Plank. And so we didn't really think he would do it, but you crushed her. You crushed you did that not. girl. You did. Oh, she got it. She got the real Doug Plank hit at practice. Really? That was a one-week contest, by the way. You know what? You guys talked She's about hearing air leave somebody's lungs. That's all I remember. That girl hit the ground. I mean, think about today. Think about an NFL Today player hitting a girl, driving her into the ground. 
Was she in full pads? Jail time. Hopefully? Jail time. Yeah, they, they dress her up. Yeah, yeah. she's coming full back pads, to sue you. Protector. <laughs> hey, we had a game in wow. Buffalo. Do you remember the game? We had a game in Buffalo where uh, Doug cheap shotted uh, Joe Delamalure, a Hall of Fame guard. And uh, Joe wasn't sure if it was me or Doug, so he chased us into the backfield. Into the backfield, you know, right after the play. And you only have like 30 seconds, so we go back in, and now he is—he doesn't know if it's me or him. And he beats the hell out of Jim Osborne the rest of the game. Who's yelling at Doug, going, "Hit your own friends, hit your own people," you know? <laughs> All right, Gary, you won a Super Bowl. We had you guys out here earlier, so uh, to you know mark the history of this here event just climbing that mountain after being an undrafted player injured in Miami converted a receiver from college coming to the Bears and reinventing yourself and then getting there and winning the championship what's it what's it all meant for you your life professionally and personally well I mean you know it makes your life uh, you know that was really a progression and Doug and I you know in 77 we were a wild card and the next year you don't make it and then we get back as a wild card, we don't get back the next year, and you're, you're just not making the progress. And uh, you know, it, it's an hourglass. You don't know how many years you're gonna have, but you certainly don't think you're gonna play a decade. And so when you start to get to that moment where you start, you know, when we won the first playoff game in Washington in 84, we lost uh, the NFC Championship game against uh, Montana in the 49ers. I had two picks in the first half. I'm like, I own Joe Montana. We got crushed, and uh, we were crying in the locker room, and I think that that game, you know, the next season uh, was an important one because Mike Ditka said, look, we had a good but, uh, but not great year. Second best is not good enough, and it locked us in. So, yeah, Jeff, I mean, I'm from Chicago, grew up in Zion and Barrington, and to win a hometown, uh, the Super Bowl, it, it was a great thing, and, and it's the one team thing that nobody can ever take away from you that, you know, no matter what you do, uh, it's all about getting the ring. So, yeah, you can be all pro, you can be pro bowl, all of that, it's all about getting the ring. And I'm, I'm just glad that I was with a great group, uh, top to bottom. And Buddy. And Buddy Ryan. And, uh, you know, I wrote, we wrote, the defense the team signed a letter uh, to keep Buddy's job, knowing that the, uh, the coaching staff was probably getting fired. And we didn't have an indoor facility like they do today. We were practicing at Northwestern. We practiced twice in a barn on uh, Route 176 in uh, Libertyville, the Forest Preserve, where it was dusty. It was so dirty that we had to put a handkerchief over our noses with our helmets. And we're going, this is it, baby, the NFL. It doesn't get any better than this. And then we would practice at Great Lakes Naval Training Center, which is great. Uh, it's up in uh, North Chicago. You can punt, you can kick only one problem, cement floors. And if you have any knee problems, you're just blowing up your knees uh, doing on that. But George Hallis came to that practice. And he said, I, and we'd already broken up offensively and defensively, and he said, I have never gotten a letter like that. Your coaches will be back next year. So we knew Buddy was gonna be rehired and that the rest of the coaching staff wasn't. And that's what happened. So, you know, the players stood up for Buddy. We really believed in him. Uh, we had a great offense to complement it, and you know I know you, as one of the offensive players, kind of tired sometimes of hearing about the defense. But we couldn't win unless we had a really great offense as well. We always had Jim, we always had Walter, but we needed a passing game. And once we got all that together, to finally do it, 
unbelievable. And Mike, know, yeah, Doug, you look at that picture there, and you see in the background, you see Clyde Emmerich. He's been involved in the strength program with the Bears for since Stan Jones and the 63 team. You take that in consideration, he calls you the strongest player he's ever coached in the history of his coaching career. Now, this is a man that has set world records. He's the first man in the world to accomplish weightlifting feats that nobody else has. I think we all ha he's important to all of our backgrounds, but for you, for you to stand out to him, that's got to be as, as impressive as any coach could say a compliment about you. I really, and that man, Clyde Emmerich, I, I owe so much to him because he totally changed who I was. I, I was two inches taller. I replaced some joints in my body. So, but to take a six-foot person and turn him into a road grader, you, you can't do that. How many times can you run into a cement wall going 12 yards? It, sooner or later, something's going to break. And Clyde Emmerich helped me become a strong person strong enough to sustain punishment every single down and play and game. And I, I give him so much credit because he allowed me, I became somebody else. I became a weightlifter, but not just a weightlifter. The, the, the topics and conversations we had over the years, he taught me to have great mental discipline. And when it comes time to walk across that field and you're out there on that 100 yards, you're, you're somebody else, Tom. And I really enjoy talking and meeting every one of you out there, but if you would have been on that field and we had uniforms on, it would not have been a fun day for either one of us. Eddie, how much contact have you had with Clyde and have you learned anything from him and drawing on his expertise? You see him in that weight room. Um, yeah, I talked to him and um, he came to me, um, with the, I think it was after my, my Buffalo Bills game he told me, you need to stop playing. What he, what he said, he said, you need to stop playing. And what was it? You need to stop playing just to play. You need to play to become a Hall of Famer. And then I just, I took it and ran with it. You know, I just kept that in the back of my mind. Brownie, you've been around Clyde in the weight room and the influence that he has on every one of us. Yeah, uh, he's like you said, he's respected in the building. Um, and that's the thing, the stories, that's the first thing I said was learn the stories about Clyde. And then right away you're like, man, this dude is special. And then you hear like all the stories, you know, collected from the decades. So it's like, okay. And just him being in the building and just, he gave us, he gave us the checks too though. It was payday. <laughs> you know, he, over the history of being around him and still great friends, he's got some great sayings like knowledge earned is greater than knowledge learned. You can't shoot a cannon from a canoe. And they're all specifically body related into how they fit into your craft of football. And you think about the generations of football players that have come through the hallways of Hallis Hall. Everybody wasn't equal to him. There was nobody more important that nobody didn't deserve his attention. So when you see these pictures in the history of the Chicago Bears, there are guys like Clyde that they deserve the exposure and they deserve the credit they get, they've earned. And the Bears mean as much to him as it means to every one of us. And I, it just, you know, guys like that. But when you have a compliment of the strongest player he's ever coached, I tell you, I, I envied that when I heard it come out of Clyde's mouth. You know, you know what it does, Tom? It, it, when you know you're, 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 you've worked hard and you're, you're ready for this collision, 
when you're running full speed at somebody and they're running at you, I'm telling you, it's hard not to have a fear factor. We are all human beings. We all have a uh, right of survival, an instinct to survive. And what does that mean? Avoid contact, avoid concussions and bleeding and pain and suffering. But Clyde put it in such a way that it was okay. It was okay to run full speed into people because you had gone ahead and prepared yourself for this event by lifting weights, by conditioning, by mental discipline, all the things that are necessary to be a football player on top of all the things that, you know, Mike and Larry and Eddie are doing, you know, on a weekly basis. It's, it's just another part of, I think the safety is the hardest position to play on defense because you gotta be everything. You gotta be a guy that goes up on the line of scrimmage and battles linemen. You gotta be taking on sweeps. Now you gotta get on field and you gotta cover wide receivers, come on. What other position on the field you have so many responsibilities? 46 defense, I was two yards from the line of scrimmage. Come on, taking guards on and tackles and huge fullbacks. I mean, I, I just think that the responsibility and the roles that we have, of course, I'm favored towards the safeties, but I think these men up here have done a hell of a job in their career. And Eddie, obviously, great things to come. Mike B, you said 2001 was special, 2005 was pretty darn good too, but 2006, you guys made it. Uh, I know it's one of the hardest things you've ever had to go through, not being on that field that day. And um, I'll share this story, night before the Super Bowl, we're in a team hotel, I'm coming back from dinner, Mike Brown says, go grab your tape recorder. I'm like, okay, Mike Brown speaks, you listen. We go by the pool, and he sp spills it. He spills his passion, his emotion about it. I'll never forget it. We played it on our broadcast to start our 20-hour coverage of the Super Bowl that day in Miami. There wasn't a dry eye in the booth, and we were ready to play after listening to that. How have you come to grips with that, even all these years later? I still struggle with it. See? Passion. Like, like you said, you, you play for the chip, man. You play for the ring. You play for the ring. And uh, our team made it, and I couldn't be out there. It's the game. It's the, it's, the, it's the one sport. It's the one game. It's one game for a championship. It's not a series. It's a game. And it's the biggest game in the world. I mean, in America, but it's a big game. So, yeah, I, I mean, I still struggle with it, especially when you get around all you folks, because it's all bears, but um, yeah. So, but like I said, um, now that I have children, it makes it a lot different. It's like, uh, you know, the past is the past, and now I'm looking forward to watching my children grow and be uh, solid citizens. You know, I'm trying to teach them the right way to do things, um, and just, you know, just, I guess just being a bear and just, because um, they, they really didn't believe I was any good. So, <laughs> <laughs> so being here and just, they're, they're just like, uh, they're amazed. They're like uh, excited and it's cool to um, see their faces. And that's, to me, that's what it's all about. If you have children, you know that's what it's all about. So 
that that's make it that made it a lot easier. But yeah, like if I could if I could get it back, I wish I could. There's Big Mike Brown right there taken down. Is that Ricky Williams? Is that Ricky Williams? Ironically, yeah, Ricky Williams came from the uh, same mold as Earl Campbell. Uh, if you could put it into a concise way, what 06, the team, those guys meant to you? Because I know what you meant to them. Uh, I mean, if you're just ever around us when we get back together, you just see like, um, it's different. It's, um, it's hard to explain if you're not a part of it. So it's hard to, when you have, when you're part of a special team, especially in football, because the, the roster's changed so much. So from year to year, uh, your best friend in the world could be shipped across, you know, the nation, and then you have to go play against them and stuff like that. So once you get locked into a team um, like that, that really cared about each other, that was the coolest thing. Those, the teams that were really good, those were the teams that, like, we'd go to barbecues together. I mean, Brian Arlacher would have the whole team play paintball at his house, you know what I'm saying? It's amazing, like that's, you don't, like everyone, everybody's out here in paintball, you know what I'm saying? So just, that is the thing that I remember the most, is like we just loved on each other, man. Like we really did love each other. So that's the thing I miss the most about it, is because we don't get to do that anymore. Like that locker room stuff, that, that stuff is life changing. And you meet uh, friends for life, you know, brothers from other mothers, that type of stuff. So that's, that's the thing that's uh, special coming back to these things. Eddie, so we've heard Matt and Aggie say a lot about this year, chasing great. You know, you've had a chance to meet a lot of superstars that have come and gone with the Chicago Bears. You hear the passion of Mike Brown. Is, is, this, is it relatable now to what Chasing Great is all about? When it's, it, it's more than a phrase, but you guys are on the cusp and the opportunity to chase what great is all about? Uh, most definitely, most definitely. Like, like I said, especially, you know, when you learn about the tradition and the legacy that the Chicago Bears and the, the whole city of Chicago has behind, you know, the, the football team and the passion of everything. And like he said, man, it starts with us in the, in the locker room. We do the same thing, you know, barbecues. We'll eat every Thursday, have a deep dinner at Akeem's house, or Mack will invite everybody over his house. Or like last night, everybody went out. You know, we took the rookies out. And I feel like that's where it starts. You know, when you're willing to go to war with one another, man, and, you know, fight for the man next to you, it, it's hard. It's hard to lose. And right now, what Coach Nagy has created in our locker room is, is something special. You know, you really don't see it. And, many NFL locker rooms, even when guys come back from, come to Chicago from different teams, they say like, man, listen, y'all having fun over here, it's different. Even with OTAs, everyone's showing up to OTAs, even guys say 70%, 80% of the team they was at, guys was there. So for us, it's just, we chasing it right now. You know, we really chasing it. We not just saying it, we really doing it. Now look how much fun you're having right there. That's a part of it, right? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Most That's definitely. a part of it right there. Most definitely. That's exactly what Mike Brown's talking about. You guys are living it right now. And it's fun to watch for everybody. Doug, you didn't have as much success as a team during that time, but did you have that camaraderie? Uh, you know what? I, I can't remember us doing that dance ever. 
No, hey, you guys got it. I'm serious. We couldn't even think about trying to put on a presentation like this. I mean, dancing, dancing wasn't that cool back in the 70s. And I, I love this stuff. And, you know, everybody's talked about it here, about that little bit of extra energy and camaraderie. I'm telling you, as a player and as a coach, it goes so far. And I, I don't want to keep getting back to complaining about the coaches. And they, they might not be here. But man, they got a huge responsibility in this deal. The players can't do it by themselves. It has to come from up above to say, you know what, I talked before about coaches allowing players to go make plays. And it's the same thing true off the field. You got to let players be who they are, have the camaraderie. I don't know of any championship team I've ever been on, Eddie, maybe you might differ in Alabama. But you know what, everybody loves each other. They care for each other. You. I never cried so much in my life as when I came to the Chicago Bears. I mean, just being around winning games and players, it, and not just you being happy for yourself, being happy for somebody else to the point where you're absolutely crying at the end of the game because somebody else made an interception, went for a touchdown, or Walter Payton made some incredible run. That's what it takes. That's what camaraderie is. And I truly believe this organization is very close to that. Gary, so we, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, Nebraska, Yale. I mean, but that I'm Notre Dame. About, how do, how did that message transfer from the the um, the difference of Yale to the NFL? And you learned about the camaraderie, the commitment, the teamwork. How how long did that message take to set into you? Well, you know, Tom, I had a great experience at Yale, and I, uh, you know, there's. It, it wasn't D1, uh, D1A, uh, but it was still great football. But I think, you know, getting into Miami, I loved uh, the Miami Dolphins organization. I just ruptured my lung the first month and made it to the final cut and got cut on Labor Day <laughs> and, and got picked up by the Bears, but that's my hometown team. And so my first year, I mean, I was, I was on the kickoff team. I mean, hey, I don't think any of these guys, is, uh, Doug has, was a backup in college. But everybody else has been a star in high school, peewee, whatever you did, and all of a sudden I'm on the nut squad, right? You're R3 and they're going, okay, watch all this film. You go, I, I think I got it. I just got to run like hell and I know someone's going to try to pick me off. But, you know, as you kind of earn your way, and, and this is the big difference between, you know, is the age difference, is that you've got guys who are like 30 years old or have been in the league for 12 years and and so you get acclimated in something that's very different than you've ever experienced before. And, and so for me, I was really lucky that Doug Buffone took me under his wing. And I learned an awful lot from Doug. But also, even with Jack Pardee and the different coaches we had, uh, you know, you learn that uh, you have to become a professional, that you have to take this job seriously, that people are losing their jobs, you know? I mean, when I came in, a guy lost his job and had a family with two kids. And so it is a very, very different orientation from you know Yale and I think probably for most college programs. All right, a couple questions from the fans. Eric from Albuquerque, we, we've got about three and a half minutes. Your most memorable game in a Bears uniform. Try to do one real quick. Doug? Uh, I, have to, I have to agree with Gary. There was a game in 77 against the Giants, you know, the last game of the year. So. I had never been that cold in my life. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we never had much clothing in the winter, so I was cold as crap, you know, growing up as a kid. I'm telling you, 
that was that, that was because you know why it wasn't just cold at the beginning it was wet snow so you became soaked then the temperatures dropped and that was my most annoying game Tr plus you you know you had to try to tackle Larry Zonka on top of that so Eddie uh, for me, it would be my, my rookie year, uh, the two-touchdown game against Carolina. Yeah. 275-yard-plus touchdowns. Yep. Yeah. Oh, really? Because it was, the, you know, the, the, uh, yes. the year. Yes. One year to the day from busting up that leg. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's unbelievable is what that is. Mike? Uh, it would be uh, the first, the 49er one, the tip. Yeah, that, that game was crazy. That was a crazy game. Jeff Garcia. Jeff, there's no way I'm not going to say the Super Bowl, but, you know, other than the Super Bowl, it was the NFC Championship game against the Rams at home, and when Wilbur picked up that fumble and it started snowing, I'm chasing him, but you're going, we're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Tom, how about you? It, it's kind of a memory that's always haunted me. The first game I got to start for the Chicago Bears was the fourth game of my first year at the Bears. We were beating the Washington Redskins by 40 points. I got a holding call in the fourth quarter and Dicka pulled me. And I just, I, I, it kind of made me understand the seriousness of what we are all trying to accomplish. You couldn't take one play off or be relaxed. And, the guy that I was playing against, Dave Butts, didn't have any tackles in the game, but it was more of what Ditka, Coach Ditka, wanted us to realize the importance of what we are doing. And it, I, it, it's, it's haunted me, but it's rewarded me in my whole life because I went on to have no holding calls for the next three years. So it, it, it helped me. And then lastly, uh, Ashley from Des Moines wants to know what it's like when that Soldier Field's rocking on third down, game on the line. Memories, what's it feel like from the fans? Well, I'll tell you, I, I like it nice and chilly. The breeze is coming, you know what I'm saying? Off that lake, uh, you, you feel the chill. Uh, it's a close game, right? It's third, what, what, what are we gonna do, fellas? Crowd, let's go, right? Crowd gets into it. And it does um, give you, like, it's, it's weird. It gives you a little extra energy, man. Like, I don't care how tired you are. It, it, it reminds you, like, what it's about. Because the people, are, they want it, too. So you got the whole building wanting it. It adds to the wanting factor. So I, I, I enjoyed uh, getting it up, man. Let's go. Get that place rocking. It does help the team. It does, really. Yeah, I have the groove mic, man. Out there, third down. Especially this year, it was the it was the craziest we ever seen it, and we love it. it. Like for the defense, especially when we out there, just keep that energy coming. You know, don't lose that. We need that every week, especially week one against Green Bay. You know, we need that. We need it. And with that, we'll wrap it up because that's the way to end it. That's a mic drop by Eddie Jackson right there. Thank you, fellas. Four of the greatest safeties in Bears history here today. Thank you.